In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, Word of God, reveal more of yourself to us through your presence in the Bible. Led by the Holy Spirit, guide our time of reflection. May it increase our desire for you in the Scripture and in the sacrament. Amen. Our Scriptures this weekend kick off with an excerpt near the beginning of the book of Ezekiel. The four verses that make up our first reading comprise Ezekiel's call narrative, a technical name for a story of when a prophet was called by God to be a prophet. Prophecy was a much more common dimension of everyday life as compared to what we know today in the form of psychics in seedy parts of town. Prophets were all over the place, and leaders would often have whole gangs of prophets to help them chart their course of leadership. But the biggest question to determine if a prophet was true or false, that is, if he spoke truth or something he just made up, was if he had been sent by God. This is why the very first words we hear God say to Ezekiel in our first reading are these, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites. No doubt that as the story of Ezekiel continues on, many will question if he is truly true. But this opening to the book of Ezekiel validates that God really did send him to be a prophet. And in fact, that God says to Ezekiel, whether they heed or resist you, already sets the mood for when others will resist him later on in the book. As with last weekend, our second reading includes another very famous concept of St. Paul. This weekend, we hear about the thorn in the flesh given to me. But here's some background before we look exactly at what Paul meant by this. This is his second letter to the Corinthians, and recall that some super-apostles arrived in Corinth and began to undercut Paul's legitimacy. Apparently, these super-apostles boasted about their incredible, ecstatic, and otherworldly experiences in prayer, and then countered by saying, look, that guy Paul never talked about having ecstatic experiences like we've had. Well, in this 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians, just prior to our excerpt, Paul recounts an ecstatic experience he's had, although he does so in the third person, saying, I know someone in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. But after recounting this experience of prayer, then our second reading begins, that I, Paul, might not become too elated because of the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Just what is this thorn in the flesh? Scholars put forth three possibilities. One, The thorn is an internal temptation that Paul suffered, perhaps of a sexual nature. Two, the thorn is those who oppose Paul in ministry, such as these super-apostles. Or three, the thorn is a type of physical ailment, such as headaches, fever, or even an eye problem. This is the most widely accepted explanation today, although, as you often hear me say, we just can't know for sure. Our gospel has a number of interesting points that necessitate further discussion. First, that Jesus is described as a tecton, often translated carpenter, such as the translation used at Mass. Second, that he is referred to as the Son of Mary. And lastly, that we hear about brothers and sisters of Jesus. All of these points come from one of the most contested verses in all of the New Testament. It goes like this. Is he, talking about Jesus, is he not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So the word translated for us as carpenter is tecton in Greek. Literally, it means one who works with his hands. So although we frequently associate Jesus, and therefore also his father Joseph, with carpentry, the word itself, tecton, refers to a much wider scope of work that includes stonework. In short, a tecton is one who builds. Next, the crowd refers to Jesus as the son of Mary. 
Interestingly enough, this is the only time Mary is mentioned in all of Mark's gospel, and a number of scholars believe it's done so in a derogatory way. You see, the custom at the time was to refer to someone by his father. We see this elsewhere in the gospels when Jesus calls to Peter, Simon, son of Jonah. But here, Jesus is spoken of not by his father, but by his mother. Remember that the circumstances of Jesus' birth were very suspect that Mary had become pregnant before living together with Joseph. And so perhaps the townspeople are snidely hinting at Jesus' possible illegitimacy by making such a comment. Lastly, we have to tackle this question of the brothers and sisters of Jesus, right? How do we make sense of this? There are three possibilities. First, that these actually were blood brothers and sisters of Jesus and that Mary did not remain ever virgin. If this were so, however, why would Jesus from the cross entrust Mary to the beloved disciple and not to his brothers and sisters? We're not talking the Da Vinci Code here. Now, the second possibility is that these were actually cousins of Jesus and therefore children of Mary's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas. Yet, if that were so, why would a family have two daughters named Mary? And furthermore, the word used here in Greek for brothers, Adelphos, is never used to describe a cousin anywhere else in Greek literature. So that leaves us with the third and final possibility. These were Joseph's children from a previous wife and therefore stepbrothers and sisters of Jesus. This was put forth by Epiphanius, a bishop in the 4th century, and is called the Epiphanian solution to the debate. So that's it. That's your Sunday setup for this 14th Sunday in Ordinary Time in Year B. May this knowledge of the story behind the scripture allow you to encounter Jesus Christ in a new way this weekend. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.